Hi everyone, welcome to the Folklore Scotland podcast. You're back in the Cranog. This week we're looking at the Highland Games. Since this summer there'll be lots of Highland Games going on all over the place. First up we have an introduction from David. Highland Games is an event that fully celebrates Highland culture, from tartan and bagpipes to vast displays of strength. They take place all over the world, with many Scottish heritage societies running games in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and many more countries across the globe. The Highland Games likely originated in Ireland, with a quoted predecessor being the Irish Teltean Games, which made its way across the sea in the 4th and 5th century to Argyle which at the time was the kingdom of Dalriata. Alas, the national symbol that is the Highland Games has not always been in such high esteem, frequented by royals and the like. Following the Jacobite uprisings, the act of prescription outlawed Highland culture and with it the games. And it wasn't until 1782 that the act was repealed. Queen Victoria's love of the Highlands certainly helped spur on the rise of Highlands culture as emblematic of the Scottish nation. And it also gave the Highland Games a leg up in growing popularity and recognition. Now, what can you expect when you go to the Highland Games? Lots of throwing, lots of lifting, and lots of heavy stuff. There's, of course, the famous tape caber toss, which involves throwing a big log, about 20 foot high, weighing 68 kilograms, or to those in the imperial system, 150 pounds. And the results are judged on how far it can be thrown, plus the straightness of when it lands. There's the hammer throw, chucking a big hammer. It's a metal ball attached to a wooden handle that weighs up to 10 kilograms and they throw it and see how far it can go. They wear spikes in their shoes to stabilize themselves a bit, uh, to give them a bit of an edge there and not flying backwards as they throw it. They've also got the stone putt, which is basically the shot putt, except they lob a big stone weighing about eight kilograms. Are we starting to see a bit of a theme here? There's lots of throwing heavy stuff. Um, the next one, involves throwing heavy heavy stuff as well, but vertically rather than horizontally. It's called weight for height, where the contest contestants throw a 25.4 kilogram weight over a bar. So it's about 56 pounds. Um, and they do that with one hand uh, in a standing position. And the bar slowly gets higher and higher and higher until it won't clear the bar anymore. Now done with throwing heavy things, we've got a classic schoolyard favorite, tug of war. There's two teams that pull on a big rope, trying to drag the other team over the center point. Next up, we've got an attempt to do some running. We Scots are very dangerous over short distances. So we've got the hill race where runners need to run up a big hill or a medium hill. I've never actually done it. And then there's also tartan, bagpipes, highland dancing, and of course the world renowned haggis hurling. There. From the Guide to Highland Games, Haggis Hurling is one of the Highland Games' most unusual traditions and is now a popular novelty at many of the events. Uh, it began as a joke in the 1970s when challengers wanted to see how far a haggis could be thrown while standing on top of a whiskey barrel. But its popularity soon grew and there is now even a World Haggis Hurling Championship. Um, apparently, um, the reason that... I didn't write this on the notes, but apparently the reason... That haggis hurling became 
like a joke was because this guy can't remember his name but this guy was like um oh i've discovered an ancient scottish um tradition called haggis hurling where um the the women would throw haggises from their aprons to their men working in the fields to feed them at lunchtime um and he said that this was like an ancient tradition and that's why haggis hurling should be in the highland games i'm so sad that's not a real thing <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh could you imagine just a line of women with their aprons throwing <laughs> haggises or haggai yeah what is the plural of haggis Hagapod. <laughs> well, you got like platypods. <laughs> I was at the Braemar gathering a couple of years back. I was filming um, it for a friend who was making a video of it. And I got sent on. She got to stay down, you know, in the playing field and film nice things of people highland dancing and throwing cavers and whatnot. I got sent up to the hill race. So I had to climb a hill um and position myself at the top and film the people like coming up and like running around the cairn at the top of the hill and like I can't express enough how much of a hill this was it wasn't just like a wee hill it took us an hour to walk up this hill on rough terrain it was like a full Duke of Edinburgh expedition and these people were like sprinting up it to see who could get up there first and it's just unhinged Oh, well, there we go. That answers my question as to whether it's a medium hill or a big hill. It's a big it sounds hill. like a reasonable sized hill. It's a big hill. Like, how would the scale as well? Is it, is it a medium hill? Is it a big hill? Big old hill. Big old hill. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be talking about tossing the caber, and as we learned from David's intro, a caber is essentially a massive log, and it derived its name from a similar word in Gaelic that has a similar meaning. Um, And this particular contest is particularly intriguing to me, not only because I'm not originally from Scotland, but also because this is an activity that we did as a team building with my work. (laughs) Um, We had a team building day where uh, we just did a bunch of different Highland games, And because a lot of them are very, very strenuous, we did kind of tone it down a little bit. So when I say I did do the toss and the caber, I didn't do the massive, massive log that David chatted about. It was many, many kilograms above my own weight. So um, when we did it at um, this event, we actually did it in Camperdown Park. If anybody's near Dundee and knows where that is, that's where you can go and you can toss cabers. Um, But the blokes from my work who went up and did it first made it look fairly simple. Um, The premise is you walk up and you have this massive caber log uh, and you have to kind of stand it up so it's upright, um, pick it up from the bottom, you sort of rest it almost on your shoulder just so you don't drop it. um, And you do a little run and you fling it. And the idea is that when you do that, it's supposed to also land as close as possible to being upright and it also needs to then fall ideally away from you rather than towards you. So anything, if you think of a clock face, I've got the 12 o'clock being falling away from you and then falling towards you would be six o'clock and obviously place the others. Um, but the scoring system would work. You have your biggest score being it falls at 12 o'clock. Six o'clock is a lower score. And then there's other scores for the three and the nine that are lower again than the 12. So the scoring system uh, is also dependent on who else is in the competition with you. 
So it's very much based on people's perception of who has done the best in that particular caber toss. Um, so it's not as strict rules as you may imagine from games um, that we traditionally play. So yeah, nonetheless, this is a highlight event at many Scottish Highland Games. And until fairly recently, in fact, in the 90s, it was also an Olympic sport. And everybody who was taking part had to wear a kilt. So the scoring system, again, not as precise as we'd expect from most Olympic Games. And also there is stress on the caber doesn't have to go a particular distance or doesn't even have to go the longest distance for it to be a win. It's precision that is marked higher um, than the distance that you physically throw it. Um, so if you want to learn a little bit more about how this event looks, uh, you can actually go on Wikipedia um, and have a look at some pictures of people doing a caber toss. Now we're at Wikipedia um, kind of fall down a little bit as they call the person who does that the tosser, uh, which in Scotland is not the politest thing to call people. So we will go with the person throwing the caber. So like I say, yeah, the winner is selected based on the performance of all the players and the highest scoring person is the one who manages to get the, the pole to land as close as possible to upright and at the 12 o'clock position. So a little bit more context to the size of the caber that is being thrown. Um, there have been records of cabers being around five to six meters in length or up to 20 feet. Um, most of them also cut from a large tree, which um, is kind of looks similar to a Christmas tree, but not quite. Um, and in some places it said that the larch log is also put in water to weigh it down even further and make it even heavier. So the weight can be anything between sort of 41 to 68 kilograms, which is kind of 90 to 150 pounds or six to 10 stone. But it can be a little bit more than this as well. And obviously the one that we did at work was a little bit less. Um, the first record of a caber toss as an athletic event was sometime between 1031 and 1093 during the first documented Highland Games. And during this time, King Malcolm III wanted to choose a royal messenger, and he wanted this person to be the fastest and strongest in all of Scotland. So the caber toss became the endurance test to show that the person was able to do the requirements of this job. Now, my research also took me down a few possible origins of the caber toss. Um, there was three different origin stories that particularly intrigued me. One of them might be the most correct one. The other two are kind of hearsay from over the years. But the original thought was that the caber toss was invented by soldiers. The reason being that soldiers sometimes needed to cross rivers. So tossing giant logs would be a way to make either a makeshift raft or a bridge to help them get across. However, this did raise the question of how soldiers were just randomly coming across perfectly chopped logs conveniently next to all these rivers. So this idea is thought to perhaps not be the most accurate. However, um, some of the origin stories of this rumor may be due to a lot of soldiers in places like Arkansas and America loving a good caber toss um, because in World War I, when the American soldiers fought alongside Scottish soldiers and um, they were introduced to this game, and since then, the caber toss has also become part of some military training as well, presumably for the endurance that it takes to toss a log of this size. But this theory did bring another one, and that was if someone was leaving chopped logs around the place, potentially that might be a lumberjack. So the second idea is that lumberjacks started the tradition. And after all, Scotland was covered in trees some 500 odd years ago. So this idea isn't too far fetched. 
However, there is little historical evidence to support this. And also if lumberjacks were tossing the cabers for fun or to help them cross rivers, much like what the soldiers were allegedly doing, um, they may risk losing the lumber down the river. So it would just give them more work and it didn't seem like the ideal solution for what they wanted to do. And lastly, and this is my favorite theory of all of them, is that it actually started with whiskey and bored men having a test of strength to see which one of their mates was able to toss the caber the best after having one too many. <laughs> um, it might simply also just be a way to display strength or as with the first um, event um, that was recorded of doing a caber toss for King Malcolm III, it could just be a display of strength and to show how good you are at doing what seems to be almost unimaginably difficult. Um, but to think that it was, <laughs> that, um, was the people who've had a bit too much whiskey is quite hilarious just to imagine. Um, some sources also say that this was a way to determine which men were the strongest so they could be sent to war. Um, so this is also maybe a more reasonable explanation. Um, but these days, the caber toss is a favoured staple um, at Highland Games. It's really fun to watch. I imagine very, very difficult to participate in, but also very exciting. And obviously a, a popular pastime for workmates on a Friday afternoon. So it's just another day in the office in Scotland. <laughs> it's always drunk men with whiskey, isn't it? It always starts with whiskey, I swear. <laughs> so many of these. There's been so many stories we've covered on this podcast that we just think, oh, actually, I think he was just at the pub and then <laughs> <laughs> poetry and songs and everything else followed. <laughs> I can imagine us giving it a shot in a night out, Mila. <laughs> <laughs> had training. I'll, I'm happy to take you on. <laughs> Coming I across a down telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea oh, it was in the Olympics. No, neither did I. That's so cool. And they have to wear why did they get rid of that? Wow. I I think that's a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if they add the caber toss, they have to add all those niche sports, you know, like elephant polo and well, do it. I think all of those underwater would be hockey. Who, who wants to watch the marathon? Really? Would I want to watch elephant polo. In, in that time frame, <laughs> would you rather watch elephant polo and caper tossing? I think so. I don't think Peter <laughs> would want to watch elephant polo. Although uh, I'm sure the elephants are very well treated. Oh, that's true. Maybe we use animatronics instead. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Or, or Robot CGI elephant polo. Elephant polo. CGI <laughs> elephant. It's just guys in like big green suits oh. running around. Oh you know, on the first one of the caber tossing ones that you're talking about the king malcolm one do you know if the rules were the same or if they were any different then because i don't know it seems like oh. going for strength you'd want like distance whereas now it seems to be like you're saying it doesn't matter the distance it's like to do with how it stands upright and then falls which seems although you still mm -hmm. have a lot of strength to do it in the first place it seems like there's a degree of like practice and skill and like tactic about it that's very true. I'll need to research that. I actually don't know. I don't know. I just figured it's because they do that little run at the start that to pick it up and run with it and throw it. Yeah. Is like, but yeah, I didn't think of actually maybe it was different because surely the messenger also, would need to travel a lot of land. If he was looking for a messenger as well, though, they would probably have to have some degree of tactic and skill. So maybe it was still the aim to try and get it upright and straight on. Or maybe, or maybe they had the little message on top of the caber. Maybe. So no one could get I, it. I feel like it's not the most efficient way of it. <laughs> or maybe you just had a really big message. Or a really long caber. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's actually a scroll. It wasn't a cable. It was just a scroll. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Google that and come back to you at the end. <laughs> I like the idea of the lumberjacks as well. Although mm. I could envisage more if that was something lumberjacks did. Like I'd imagine if Mount fell on these big pine trees, that scotch pine stuff, they, they are fairly straight when you cut them down if you strip the branches off them. It'd be, when you see the stacks in the wood, Mm. Don't you think oh. that would be quite good just lobbing it and seeing how much you could get it to lie just in line with all the other ones? Yeah. I wonder if that was... And I think the, like, I mean, obviously you want, in any circumstance, you want a big log to fall away from you. But I think that's especially important if you're a lumberjack and you're cutting down a tree. Um, I don't think they normally lift them up, rooting them, well, and no. then <laughs> I think they normally <laughs> chop it down first. <laughs> But maybe That's like, the event we need. Maybe the rule comes from like the idea of somehow needing the tree to, to not fall away from fall you. on you. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's just common sense. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let the 20 foot pole fall towards you. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna award him more points, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> I did read another origin story um that said that part of this was like strength training during the time when uh Scottish people were forbidden from bearing arms or from training militarily in order to prevent uh, an uprising. But I feel like the caber toss probably existed pre-Jacobite rebellion. Mm. Um, so I doubt if that's the case. Yeah. Maybe it became more popular then? I don't know. It I think it did because didn't you say it was um, revived in a Victorian age right so if it would be that they're not allowed to strength chain train after the jacobite rebellion and then so they're doing all these wild things and victoria comes along she's like hang on a minute there's some money in this uh, <laughs> so and maybe maybe that's what happened i don't know i just feel like if you find any man anywhere and he sees a big object he's gonna be like i could lift that that's probably that's why there is so much men lifting stuff all over the world. Like in Iceland, mm. they have these big rocks go up in various sizes and they have different names and you lift them. And I think it came back from like where you were positioned on a ship, depending on which one you could lift. So they love a big lifting thing too. And it's all over the place. Everybody loves to lift stuff. Men everywhere yeah. are simple creatures. So like heavy sting, heavy thing. Let's, <laughs> let's lift it. Let's throw it. Let's... <laughs> There's a whole ass titan in Greek mythology who lifts the very sky. So, yeah, I man, I lift. <laughs> yeah, Scots don't need guns. We've got cavers. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's it's actually a proven fact that um, in medieval battles we didn't have archers. We just had a line of cavers. <laughs> That's why I we still have so many style telegraph poles. Is because they're there in case we need them. <laughs> Back in my village, if ever Scotland's me. invaded, those <laughs> telephone poles will be coming down. Yeah. <laughs> so, using stones to demonstrate strength has been around since the first men. I'm sure if we pop into a hypothetical time machine today, we'd find Neolithic gyms kitted out with all sorts of stone strength training equipment. One such feat is the stone throw, not to be confused with throwing stones or stoning, which is a much more violent activity. 
Interestingly, you wouldn't find this event in the first Olympic Games, although there is evidence that there were stone throwing competitions in the ancient world, both in Europe as well as Asia and the Americas. And we know that medieval soldiers enjoyed competitions where they attempted to manually throw cannonballs. Whether this was effective battle strategy, probably not. However, the modern shot put most likely stems from our own Highland Games, although any history of its origin was lost with the clearances. We can guess this as the word put in this context stems from the Gaelic but, meaning to push or throw. I definitely mispronounced that. Please forgive me. The rules vary based on the games, but largely consist of men and women throwing a round stone weighing between 16 to 26 pounds for men and 8 to 18 pounds for women. 16 pounds is actually the weight of a stone, which I find very funny and also extremely difficult moving to Scotland when people say, oh, I weigh however many stones. I'm like, well, which stones are you using? Where can I find these stones? Do they change in weight? Very confusing stuff. The stone must be thrown from the shoulder with one hand, with the stone touching or sitting closely next to the neck or chin. In the Braemar stone put, no run-up run is allowed. The stone put doesn't just feature in the games, however. It used to be accustomed to have a putting stone lying at the gate of a chieftain's house, and on the arrival of a stranger, asked as a compliment to throw. Robbie Burns apparently had his own stone by his gate, and if ever someone lifted it, he would run out and host a wee competition. You can also find a huge amount of boulders named after the pudding stones across the country. For example, Rob Roy's pudding stone lies near the bluff of Loom and Aranac. It marks the place where the renowned cattle thief and folk hero hid from the evil Duke of Montrose after he had liberated his cattle from the Duke of Montrose's herd. Before these folk heroes, however, it was giants who invented the tradition. Long before the time of men, giants lived in Scotland. They claimed hills as their territories and fought vicious battles with their neighbours to protect their land. To do this, they took turns flinging huge boulders across enormous distances, an everlasting battle that marked Scotland with its ammunition. There's hundreds of tales about these epic battles, like the Glenmorangie giant, hung over from a night of feasting and drinking to celebrate his marriage, who failed to properly attack his neighbour in Tain, and the rock crashes down only halfway. The most famous and strongest of the giants, however, was Samson. Now, he may have had another name before the introduction of Christianity to Scotland, but Samson is what the internet told me. He lived up on Ben Ledi, near Callender. Samson knew he was the strongest giant, but he was only ever battling those giants nearby. How could he prove, once and for all, that he was the king of the giants? He called all the giants to his land, proclaiming that he could beat them all in a trial of strength and putting the stone. Giants scoffed at his hubris and flung stones huge distances. But finally, Samson hefted his stone with a mighty heave, launched it straight down to the bottom of the bend. It still lies there to this day. Many of these giant stories seem to be proven by the recognizable finger holes in these boulders. But interestingly, these could in fact be Neolithic cup stones, also known as anvil stones, and represent ancient use of tools. On the other hand, I would much prefer if they were from the giants. I, I like the idea of a giant being Glen Morangi. Just the title of whiskey, it's fabulous, and that he was known for his drinking and food. That was just listen. Well, I, I think their marketing people are really missing a trick not putting them on the bottle. I love the story that about uh, people deciding to throw cannonballs as well. 
That was brilliant. I like the idea of just Scottish people in the army, like looking at some dude trying to do a fill a cannon, like stuffing it down with the stick and everything, being like, oh, gee, it's here, and just lobbing it. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, I wonder if it goes further. <laughs> they, well, they do the, um, the cannon toss first, and then the caber guys come up the back and throw the cabers. Yeah. That's just got a shark way to work. Or maybe the Someone cannon tosses it towards the caber tosser who <laughs> hits it. And that's where we actually get baseball from. <laughs> it's actually, You're it's, welcome, Americans. It's actually a little known fact, but how we bet the, uh, the Spanish uh, fleet was by getting a lot of Scots on a boat to throw cannonballs at them. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many times as I'm researching, they're like, did you mean stoning? I'm like, no, nope. <laughs> not in this, not in this situation. Yeah, this time. Next time. <laughs> I also love how the stone was like the stone that is now used like for weight. So you say like, oh, I'm X amount of stone. Yeah. <laughs> is it like back then where they're like, oh yeah, I, I can take like six stone or one Emma? No, so apparently <laughs> it used to be like an imperial system or and they literally every town had their own stone and for trade things would be measured against that stone so all the stones had a different weight which <laughs> okay i don't know how this worked in any way all the stones had slightly like different weights but i think on in scotland the edinburgh stone was 16 pounds uh and like when they traded things in they'd be like oh it's this many stones <laughs> In London, there's this stone. No one knows why it's there. No one knows. It's behind a glass case with, like, um, big cast iron, like, rungs in front of it, it um, underneath a shop. And it's on display, but it's, like, protected. No one knows why it's there. No one knows what the point of it is. And obviously people have, it's called the London Stone, and people have made, like, claims about King Arthur and blah, blah, blah. I wonder if that's just the stone. I, would, I mean, genuinely, yeah. If it, it had a crest be. of any kind on it, if it had, like, something carved into it, maybe. <laughs> Imagine trading gold with these places. No wonder there was so much war. I'm sending you 20 stone. <laughs> You've scammed me! <laughs> I'm sending my finest tossers your way. <laughs> I want yeah. one outside the flat. I'll charge, charge yeah. people to, like, throw in competitions. <laughs> Be great. No wonder these people love this sport. I think it's a great idea. Imagine that someone coming around instead of a doorbell or like greeting me a cup of tea. You were like, right, let's throw a stone. Do you think that's where the um the term oh it's a stone's throw from such and such comes from? Huh. You know what? Probably. Where's the shop? Oh, it's a stone's throw from a house. I'll prove it. That is something about the story which I found strange because like so the giants basically it, they they occupy whatever hill is on like a different headland and then they throw from headland to headland so it's going hundreds of miles and then the strongest giant apparently threw just to the bottom of the hill he was on don't know how much of that is rolling so he's supposed to be the strongest giant but I don't know what the measuring system is there either. Probably like different, depending. They've all got different size rulers. <laughs> we do have a giant stone in Dundee as well. Apparently, really? it's called the Devil Stone, 
and it was thrown by a giant from a hill in Fife on up to the law, but he missed. So it's somewhere on the outskirts of Dundee. He missed by quite a bit. Scotland, and there's like hundreds. Do you think a lot of them maybe originally giant stones before kind of mm. Christianity made them devil stones? Probably. Yeah. I mean, like in everything I read about Samson, it was that he definitely had a different name before he was Samson. I am going to be talking a bit about Highland dancing with a focus on sword dancing, which is a specific type of Highland dance. Um, Highland dance is a very iconic part of Highland culture and it's performed at competitions around the world, um, not just at Highland Games, but it is absolutely something that you're guaranteed to see at Highland Games, along with the beautiful sounds of the bagpipes. Highland dance comes in a selection of forms. There's the Highland fling, the Sean Truis, Strathspey and Reel, and also the sword dance, which we're going to be looking at a bit today. Um, and in the sword dance, the dancer lays swords on the ground in a cross shape and dances in the four corners of that shape. Um, it's a war dance. And in the time when clan chiefs would host Highland Games to pick their strongest warriors, the sword dance would display agility and endurance where other games would show strength. It's also thought to be a training exercise um, by laying the blades on the ground um, or sometimes a shield with a large spike on it called a targe. Um, there was an element of risk involved that if you were to dance around these dangerous things, um, it would force you to develop dexterity to avoid getting a nasty injury from the blades. So some folklore surrounding sword dancing. The, one of the believed origin stories is that King Malcolm Canmore killed a chieftain in battle and to celebrate, he laid his sword alongside his enemy's sword on the ground and danced over them in celebration. And this ties in with the Highland Fling, which is a victory dance. Another idea is that the a soldier would lay swords on the ground and dance around them before battle. And if his foot touched the blade, then this was considered an ill omen for the battle ahead. And my favourite story, personally, surrounding uh, the sword dance is the story of Gilly Callum, who is said to be Noah's bagpiper. Um, I didn't know Noah had a bagpiper. I don't know why he has need for a bagpiper, but apparently he had a bagpiper and his name was Gilly Callum. Um, and to summarise, after Noah's first taste of fermented wine, um, he laid two vines on the ground in a cross on the ground and danced around them while Gilly Callum played the bagpipes. So once again, the origin story of this is someone got drunk and had a laugh. I think the most interesting part of Highland Dance is its ability to tell stories. Um, it's believed to be a method of storytelling and a lot of dances will retell um, Scottish folk tradition through the art of dance. Um, one in particular, which isn't a sword dance, it's one of the versions that I mentioned earlier, the Sean Truce, um, means old trousers. And it's a dance that involves a lot of jumping really high and kicking. And it looks absolutely exhausting if you YouTube it. But it's said to represent the times just after the banning of the kilt, with the dancer kicking their legs about to tr uh, represents them trying to free their legs from the terrible Sassanach fashion of trousers. The Highland Fling, as I mentioned earlier, is a victory dance, and it's the most iconic Highland dance. Um, if someone says to you Highland dancing, it's the one that you picture where they have their hands in the air and they're jumping and one leg comes up and it's hard to describe in a podcast, but you know the one. <clears throat> it's said to represent a lively young stag with the arms raised above the head representing the antlers and the large leaps representing the leaping of the stag. 
it's so impressive. I definitely recommend watching some videos of Highland Dance because um, it just makes me tired thinking about it. And it seemed, it takes so much precision um, and training and endurance. And it's very impressive and also a great storytelling technique. I love that about the sword dance. I actually, until you mentioned it there, I'd forgotten that this was something we used to watch people do in primary school. And there were little competitions all over the place that you could attend. And I don't know how they judge it, but you, you can be the prize winning sword dancer for different schools in different regions. I don't know, how old are you in primary school? Like 10? Yeah. You just come up with your two swords, you lay them down, you start dancing. Like, oh, it was awesome. It was one of the first things I saw when I came here. Yeah. I was in two Dundee. And uh, yeah, I, I was fascinated. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it looks awesome. And then they all have different colours. Some fun stories as well about the background. Yeah. Th- what Quite a lot of diverse origin stories there. Although what, other than the common theme of drinking. What did we think about <laughs> Noah's bagpiper? <laughs> I found it strange you have two of them. (laughs) (laughs) That might just be overpowering. Maybe Um, the bagpipe used to be an animal, like the haggis. Do you know, is this definitely the the same Noah? It's not just a guy called Noah. Well, I did wonder that. I I did wonder if it was just a guy called Noah or maybe another guy called Noah from mythology or something, but there wasn't any, like, when I googled it i couldn't find anything and there wasn't any specification it just said noah as if you were expected to know who noah was so i was yeah, like, like share yeah. like, like share. so we're thinking noah's ark noah had a bagpiper on board i'm thinking god said you will save yeah. your family yourself and two of every animal and a bagpiper exactly. they must have missed that <laughs> <Both guesstimate>. <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering um original highland dancers was that just men or were women also allowed to dance from what i read um i didn't read anything specifically about um whether women did it um but one thing that was mentioned in my research was that it's now a female kind of dominated sport um but it used to be a male dominated sport so i don't know whether like obviously there's men who do it today. Uh, I didn't see any mention of women who did it in the past, but I'm sure there were. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. Our aim is to make the compiling and sharing of folktales accessible through digital streams. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info@folklorescotland.com. You can also check out all of our social media links in the show notes. If you would like to support the work we do, we have now launched a Ko-fi page where you can make a small contribution that will go a long way in helping us carry out the work we do. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. Our aim is to make the compiling and sharing of folktales accessible through digital streams. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also check out all of our social media links in the show notes. If you would like to support the work we do, we have now launched a Ko-fi page where you can make a small contribution that will go a long way in helping us carry out the work we do.